This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. Welcome to the broadcast. Adam Ritz with you. So glad you've decided to join us for this half hour of public affairs content. Joining me on the telephone is Jay Baker. Hi, Jay. How are you? Adam, I am doing great. I, uh, you know, we're about a week into the official summer now. Uh, once we get past Mother's Day and Father's Day, then we uh, uh, get into the the real heat of the summer. And we've talked about uh, fireworks safety and grill safety and summer heat safety. Uh, but I wanted to just start off with a story about parenthood since we've wrapped up Mother's and Father's Day. Uh, and talk about um, the difficult decisions that parents make in a baby's first year. And I know your kids are grown up and gone, so maybe this will bring back some memories uh, of you as a young parent with these difficult decisions. Uh, A recent study shows that there are about 1,768 difficult decisions parents make in a baby's first year. That's a lot of decision making. <laughs> yeah, it does. And that's why they always urge you, you know, to be, quote, the best parent you can be, because it's not like one onesies or twosies. It's like you're deciding several different things. I mean, when I think about difficult decisions, I only want to make one a month, if that. And <laughs> uh, here when you have a baby, you have th- about 34 tough decisions per week. Uh, which equals out to about uh, 1,700 difficult decisions in that baby's first year. Uh, All the way from here are some of the decisions you'll have. Uh, If you've got a baby right now listening, you're in the thick of this. If you're like Jay or myself, your kids are grown up and you'll have some fun memories here. If you're thinking about having a family, this is what is going to be coming down the mountain into your lap here very soon. Uh, some of the decisions were the, the most difficult one was just choosing the name, a name for your baby. Uh, that's about 37% of parents, new parents say the hardest decisions. Uh, one of them was choosing a name for the baby. And I, I think back with my kids, it wasn't that difficult. We, my wife, uh, at the time we, we were pretty uh, unanimous on what the name should be. So that wasn't that difficult. Was that hard for you? Uh, it wasn't real hard, but we had an interesting thing. My daughter, when she was about eight, decided she didn't like her middle name and wanted to change it. So we actually <laughs> changed her name for her. Well, can I ask what it was and what it became? Uh, yeah, she wanted it changed from Crystal to Julie. Okay, and she just she just said it, it it rolled off the tongue easier, and she wanted that name. So, you know, we honored her for that. Well, you know, but like you said, it was a difficult decision, and it actually required quote some legal work. And uh, our apologies to everybody listening that is named Crystal right now. Uh, <laughs> it's a lovely name. It is a beautiful name. You know, so really, we could also do a list of uh, the difficult decisions seven-year-old girls make. <laughs> If you want to keep yes. your middle name or not. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, other decisions on the list, uh, deciding whether to breastfeed or to use formula. Uh, another difficult decision, uh, according to the survey, was figuring out child care. That is a tough one. 
uh, for a lot of people, especially you think about the last year we had with the uh, p- pandemic and people now are getting back into the office. They've got to figure out child care on the fly right now. Uh, also, which formula to use? This Here's one that kind of makes me scratch my head. Where the baby sleeps. 27% of uh, new parents worry about where the baby sleeps. So I like where, like under the car in the garage. I mean, that seems <laughs> well, pretty easy to me. It's the it's well, the crib. I can kind of see what they're talking about. You know, like how you know, like where the baby monitor is set up, and then if you do hear the baby monitor, how far you might have to walk to get to the baby, and you know, and some people are helicopter parents right out of the gate. I mean, they want that crib six inches away from their personal bed. I mean, I have seen that set up. Well, yeah. Okay. I, I hear you. So not, not just where, where the baby sleeps, you know, you have the crib in the, in the nursery, but maybe you want the crib, especially when they're brand new in your bedroom next to you. I am uh, I, chuckling to myself, though, that the baby may want a more prestigious zip code. So what they're referring to is that the child lives uptown while you live downtown. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Get a condo for the baby. Where's that baby going to sleep? Uh, I will tell you, uh, not from personal experience, but from some friends of mine, uh, if you have that baby sleep in in your bed with you, there's some health concerns. I mean, you can smother the baby. Um, but as time goes on, if all of a sudden five years flies by and you've got a five-year-old that can only sleep in bed with mom or dad, uh, that is, that is tough to wean. It's tough to get that kid. That's its own show. Yeah. It's hard to get that kid to go to back to its own room to go to sleep. You might have a 14, 15, 16 year old sleeping with you, uh, years down the road. Uh, 21% worry about how to sleep train. I guess we just discussed that. Uh, 20% worry about whether to post pictures on social media. We worry about kids' safety and, you know, things of that nature. So I could see that, yes. I That's something we didn't have to worry about with our kids 20-plus uh, years ago. And I can see that now. You don't want uh, uh, creepy people online to be able to just to look at your baby. I, heck, I don't want some of my own family members to look at my own baby. So why would I put that on the Internet? Uh, 19% uh, finding the right pediatrician. That's uh, right there with you. Uh, you're talking about a family doctor or uh, your, your child's doctor. I mean, that's a, that's a big decision. Uh, and then finally uh, on the list... Parents worry about whether to parent like their parents did. Yes. So maybe you had super strict parents. Maybe you'd go overboard on the opposite end of that scale and you want to let your kids do whatever they want because your parents were so strict with you. I mean, these are definitely things to worry about as we uh, are in the post-Mother's Day, Father's Day part of the year. Uh, with the Adam Rich Show, we thank you for joining us today. Underwritten by Vibonomics. You can learn about them on our website. We've got a link to their uh, website. Just click the purple V. It's their logo. You can find that at adamritzshow.com. And Vibonomics is uh, an audio experience company. They're playing music in store with voiceover promotional advertising messages between the songs inside grocery and retail locations across the country. All right, Jay, uh, I'm all parented out. My job is done. My kids are grown up. I don't have to worry about any of these things anymore. Uh, But I have a feeling that whatever you're going to talk about, I will have to worry about. 
you will have to worry about it. There are still rules and regulations in broadcasting. Don't I know? <laughs> and speaking of not worrying about your older kids, there will still be some topics that they'll broach with you. And in fact, as they make those difficult pediatrician choices, they just may ask you, what do you think? Oh, please don't ask me. <laughs> don't I, ask me. Don't ask me. Ask your mom. Hey, absolutely. Speaking of families, this is a cool story. There were four dads who were officials of the Sunset Park Little League in Massachusetts, and they wanted to raise some money for pediatric cancer research. So they set up a walk from South Portland, Maine to Fenway Park, the home of the Boston Red Sox. And they did this in 1973. It's about 100 miles, or give give or take a few. And they brought cans along, and during the walk, people came out, asked them what they were doing. They raised $18,000 back in 1973. That is uh, a lot of money now, let alone back in 73. Yeah, absolutely. And now here's a cool footnote to the story. The sons of those dads are taking that walk as we speak. So there's a group of four dads themselves walking to Fenway Park, collecting money for pediatric cancer research. So that's kind of a cool story. That is a very cool story. I wonder how many uh, years went by between these two or if there were other years in between that they did the walk. Somebody uh, somebody else did the walk or the, or the original yeah. parents did. Yeah, that's a great point because it's, you know, it's it's a far enough walk, but not an insane length. And it goes to, a, obviously, one of the baseball meccas in our country. But I thought a very cool story. Now, as you know, on the Adam Rich Show, we uh, we helped. Uh, we were actually the we were contacted to reassure America that there wasn't really a ketchup shortage because people had read there was a ketchup shortage. But because of our research staff, we were able to allay those ketchup fears. We found out that there actually is enough ketchup. It just wasn't in the containers that it needed to be in. That's right. There were uh, potential um, panic ketchup panic disasters avoided because of the information contained and reported on this show. <laughs> Can you imagine someone storming their local supermarket, buying every amount, every ketchup bottle, clearing the shelves? We uh, stopped the panic, absolutely. But here is something that uh, you probably haven't thought about. In the state of Wisconsin, which bills itself as America's dairy land, mm -hmm. they still have not selected an official state cheese. And you might think to yourself, an official state cheese, why would this be important? It's important to Wisconsin because they produce 3.4 billion pounds of cheese annually. And they have been trying now for several years. I mean, I'm not kidding about this. Several years to actually select a state cheese. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, there's so many questions here. So, sure. So that does that mean that there are states that do have a state cheese, cheese rather? Well, Is, we found out we found out that not every state has an official dance, but many of the states that do have a dance have nominated or that name square dancing as their official dance. That's right. Now we live in a state that 
has an official bird and an official color and everything, uh, an official state flag like many of the other states. But our state has uh, an official pie. The sugar cream pie is an official pie of our state. So not every state has these designators. So the state that you live in may or may not have an official cheese. No state cheese and three billion pounds of cheese are produced every year in Wisconsin. Absolutely. They've been trying to do this for a while. And they've been trying to be careful because uh, I read through the article. They didn't want to show favoritism to any one particular cheese. That's been part of the problem with them naming a state cheese. Despite the fact that they should, it would help promote their cheese business. Well, that's, you know, the problem with uh, with today's youth is that everybody wins a trophy. <laughs> and uh, that's the problem with the st- with the cheese in Wisconsin. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and tell them no. they're not the best cheese in the state. Is Do, do cheese curds count? Is that Could that be the state cheese? cheese I think curds? cheese curds would be terrific because uh, they are tasty, I'm aren't a, they? I'm a big fan of, uh, I know Culver's is uh, out of Wisconsin. It's the number one fast food restaurant in Wisconsin. And uh, they are known for their cheese curds. So I don't know if that yes. could be their state cheese or not. It could be. Uh, they think that Colby will eventually be named the state cheese because it was founded in, of all places, Colby, Wisconsin. That was founded back in 1885. Now, Colby, you would think, is the most popular cheese in Wisconsin, but you'd be incorrect. Amundo, the number one cheese produced in Wisconsin, the Packers. Ironically, <laughs> the Packers. <laughs> uh, all the, a lot of the cheese went to those hats. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mozzarella is the most produced cheese in Wisconsin. Is that right? Yeah, mozzarella? but mozzarella just doesn't seem American enough, does well, that's, it? Is, that's where, you know, is, isn't Wisconsin where pizza was invented? Yeah. Is I mean, that you true? Know, Maybe not. Uh, who knows? But yeah, mozzarella, and it makes sense that they make a lot of mozzarella because America does love its pizza. But I thought that was pretty fascinating that uh, it, it's not controversial, but it, it's a topic of discussion within the state. Uh, about what the official cheese will be. I had no idea that Colby was uh, a town in Wisconsin where Colby cheese was uh, created. I had no idea. Thank you for that I think that's very cool. Yes, and Colby uh, was officially created to be a milder version of cheddar, and cheddar tends to be more European-slash-English-based. Isn't cheddar a town in Minnesota? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it possibly could be. Shanna. Oh, my goodness. Hey, the Pew Research Group said that 65% of Americans believe in aliens. Oh, I believe that. I, in fact, that's low. I, I would think that's low. <laughs> that may be low. Now, you'll appreciate this. Of those that do believe in aliens, 87% don't believe that these uh, extraterrestrial beings present a security threat. In fact, they believe that they do, like in Star Trek, come in peace. Boy, let's hope so, because if uh, if in the next few years um, the plot of A Quiet Place Part Two happens, uh, <laughs> oh, that's that's where people scary. start. People start seeing these uh, believing in pop culture and these movie references and think that's what's going to happen. Uh, Maybe they'll be the smart ones when they're when they when they're in their uh, panic room with a, with a 
10-year supply of uh, beef stew coming out of a can while the rest of us are uh, in a quiet place trying not to make noise from the aliens trying to eat us. <laughs> oh, man, it is funny. You're so right. You know, if you see enough of those films, really all that blends together, doesn't it? It, it really does. But now, uh, it you got to uh, believe. I, I believe. Do you believe? Well, I, I, I've got to believe that it just seems you know, statistically so that you have X number of planets and you have this supposedly infinite space, you got to figure there's got to be, you know, a planet or two that's got something on it. It's just, it it all comes down to math. Like you said, statistically, if there are literally billions of stars and our sun is one of them and there is a planet, uh, working with our sun to have life on earth just statistically mathematically you'd think there'd be at least one other star with a planet that has somebody on it absolutely now, now they may not be um talking about where cheese was invented on that no. planet. uh they may not be as sophisticated as we humans are the the human race on Earth. Maybe they could be crawling around, uh, communicating through grunting. Uh, well, I'd like to hear the public <laughs> affairs radio shows on that on that planet where they're just grunting. Are, Sometimes we do they, that. <laughs> haven't most of these alien sightings occurred in Wisconsin? And we've determined that the aliens are stealing our cheese technology. If they're listening to this show, if they're picking up this broadcast. They were safe. They're not coming to this planet. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there is no uh, educated life on Earth, according to this telecast we're picking up through space. Now, this is kind of an interesting demographic about all this. Americans under the age of 30 and men are more likely to believe in extraterrestrial beings. So I thought that was kind of cool. You and I are readily agreeing. I guess if we had a female co-host, she might say, yeah, no, I'm not believing it. I'm not ready for that. Well, we've probably seen more sci-fi movies. I don't know if that was uh, a generalization or not. But, um, you know, I think about Melissa, my girlfriend. She likes the uh, the Marvel superhero sci-fi movies just as much as I do. So... Uh, and you know what? I guess I can I can guarantee you she believes more in aliens than I do. So uh, it's not just a guy thing. It really isn't. No, and I just saw Will Smith blow up a bunch of aliens after they blew up the White House. So and, you know, I mean, I'm, that's why I believe that. And that was real footage. That was not <laughs> that was, yeah. based on real footage. Now, of course, part of this whole UFO thing kind of got started. We've always heard of Project Blue Book, and that was kind of what was the uh, what was the great television show? Their phrase was "It's out there." Uh, was it Gillian the Anderson? Outer Limits. Or, yeah, Outer Limits, and then there was the other one with David Duchovny. That oh, uh, the X Files. X Files, yeah, and that was based on the Operation Blue Book stuff. But the government recently uh, put out a report that since two thousand four. There's been 144 sightings from government sources. So what they're saying is this isn't some guy, and I'm not picking on the guy. This isn't some guy, you know, in his backyard saying, look at those lights. These are actual government sources, a lot of which were uh, actually reported in from pilots and military observers. They found things they couldn't explain. And in fact, of those 144 sightings, only one was adequately explained. 
So if you think since 2004, that's 16 years and, uh, you know, of and about 140 credible sightings. It uh, it all comes back to that math and the statistical probability that there you're telling me there's not one planet around one of those stars that doesn't have any life on it. And I, you know, and I know we, we talk about life on other planets. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, um, somebody that went to a Big Ten university that's hosting a, uh, a radio show. It could just be any sort of life. Just a, pl- you know, they, they find water molecules on Mars. Hey, we're close to finding out there was a, there was some sort of frog that lived on Mars 10 billion years ago. <laughs> well, and you and I have been in radio for so long that you know we've had the occasional coworker who may or may not have been an alien. That's all I'm uh, oh, saying. Oh, I know a few of those guys. Yeah, I, they might be aliens. <laughs> oh, there have been concerns about a loneliness epidemic. This is an actual thing. The Survey Center of American Life said that nearly one in five American men don't identify another person as being a close or best friend. It's funny That's you bring that up. Five. I just heard that the other day, that there's a, a loneliness epidemic, and and, yes. and it's with, with men. I, I guess men don't have a chance to uh, to meet other guys and find common interest uh, the way other people do. I don't know. Is that... Uh, uh, well, yeah, I've, got, I've got you. You're, you're my only friend. On. I, you're my only <laughs> you're friend. Only friend. Uh, this is it. Well, it's because of your attitude. But, oh, I didn't want to bring that up on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but, right, only 59% of Americans can identify that they have a best friend. That's down from 77% in 1990. And Cigna Health Insurance said that 61% of Americans, per their survey, actually feel lonely and it was funny you brought it up men more than women actually identify that they feel lonely and it has to do with not identifying having a best friend that's you got to get out there you, you just got you, you can't sit at home and and you can't just go to work i mean you got to join uh, join the gym join a club go somewhere find someone with common interest and uh uh, we encourage you to have a best friend. It's it's got, yeah. it's healthy for your for your state of mind. Yes, loneliness can be very very tough. Yeah, um, it really can be. So uh, so be aware, find a friend, and they say that some of this may ease as we get closer to winding the pandemic down because there will be more social interaction and potentially you may be returning to work. So they said work is sort of a fertile place to develop friendships. You know, I have a best friend. I have had him since third grade, and he's more like a brother to me than a best friend, and I haven't seen him in, I bet, six years. But we talk on the phone uh, at least three or four times a month, and uh, and we plan on it's not that we haven't tried to see each other. It just hasn't worked out. The pandemic certainly didn't help. But he's got ki- little kids and is on the other side of the country and we just haven't seen each other. Um, but you still have to make an effort to uh, yeah. to chat, to talk, to email, to send funny pictures through text. I mean, uh, even though I haven't actually been in the same room with him, uh, we've still had a, a really close brother-esque relationship over these last few years, even though we haven't seen each other. Yeah, so that's a great point. So do reach out to your friends. They are important to you. 
here's a kind of an odd story. We're having a problem with songbirds in the United States. There's a mystery illness that's killing a number of American songbirds. And at first it just started in a few states, but it's affected about 30 different states. And I don't know if you've heard about this. I uh, I did hear about it in the strangest way. And we found a dead bird on my, mm-hmm. on my back porch. And uh, Melissa told me about this songbird death uh, story that you're bringing up. Uh, and I, I didn't realize it was Songbird, and I'm no avian. What is it, aviator? Avian, avian um, expert. I am no avian expert. Uh, songbird is that a, a specific type of of bird? Well, or to is, give you an example, like uh, the two most common birds that people would associate with a, a songbird are blue jays and robins. So that gives you kind of an idea of what kind of birds we're talking about. Okay. So the, and I there's think a handful was... of other species that are involved, but think blue jays, think robins. They're showing up uh, deceased in a number of places. Yep, on my back porch had one, and I, I didn't know if it flew through, flew into my window, and uh, you know it was a result of flying uh, into the window, or uh, if it's part of this epidemic where they're just they're dropping. Yeah, it's a strange thing. They don't have an explanation for it yet, but they are urging people that do have bird feeders and bird baths to uh, disinfect your uh, feeders and bird baths with a 10% bleach solution. And if you do find a sick or dead bird, please uh, contact your local wildlife conservation agency. Wow, I have to do that then. I didn't do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's just one of those things. They don't have a reason for it. And you you know, uh, not too long ago, there was a great concern about honeybees. Yep. They were uh, disappearing throughout the United States as well, though their numbers have increased. So there you go. Uh, the uh, Everybody knows this. This is almost like a duh fact, but some of the final figures are in. There was a great concern about the amount of alcohol consumption that occurred during the pandemic, officially, the tally, a 54% increase overall in alcohol consumption over the same time period of a year ago. That is a huge number. It is a big number. It that really is, is. huge. And this is a country that we do occasionally enjoy uh, a sip of alcohol or two, and most people can socially uh, imbibe alcohol and not have any problems. But 75% Americans... Uh, did say in a survey that they had upped their consumption of alcohol to address their issues during the pandemic. And whether that be loneliness or isolation or a little bit of depression, uh, people definitely uh, went to the fridge and popped open a beer a lot more often. Even boredom. Even Absolutely. Even bore, there's just, you can't go anywhere. You're, there's nothing to do and nowhere to go. So you uh, increase your... Uh, maybe not even alcohol, but your calorie intake, your your cheeseburger intake, your your ho ho Twinkie Ding Dong intake, it all goes up by fifty four percent. And the next thing you know, you've got some health problems and some decisions. To yeah. Make. Uh, when the restrictions are listed lifted, rather, you've got to uh, you've got to get out there and start moving. Yeah, that's the best point. In fact, you're you're making the best point of this. Whether 
you overindulged in food or you overindulged in alcohol, it's not that we're shaming you. It's just that, to give you an example, excessive alcohol use accounts for some 95,000 deaths per year in the United States. So that's a significant sum of people based on the overuse of alcohol. Yeah, and the, you know, there's a lot of uh, overconsumption of alcohol anyway, pre-pandemic. So to add 54% sure. to those statistics, I mean, that's uh, there's some potential big-time problems in there. Hopefully uh, people, if you've seen um, an increase that's affected your life or your family, uh, you're reaching out and, and trying to get some help now. Yes, uh, that is a great point. And Adam, I think we have time for one final story, well, if I'm gotta, not, yeah, not right. correct. About a minute left. A 12-foot python escaped into Louisiana's largest mall. It was an exhibit at a place called the Blue Zoo that says they're more than an aquarium, more than a zoo. And they had a 12-foot python in that exhibit, which apparently uh, broke its containment. And it's still loose in Louisiana. They haven't found it yet. They have not. In fact, it, it's a Burmese python. The uh, handlers at the zoo say she's a real sweetheart, but she is still missing. Uh, I don't think it really poses a threat to humans, but I think if somebody spotted it out of the corner of their eye, they might not be real happy. Well, the key here is you said it's still loose in Louisiana, and that might not be true. I mean, it might not be in Louisiana. Maybe it's in your hometown, wherever you're listening. So please be aware and be careful. There could be some major <laughs> reptile on the loose in your neighborhood. Thank you, Jay, so much for joining us. And to uh, all of our listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can hear this show and all of our previous shows uh, in podcast form on our website, adamritzshow.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out-of-Home Marketplace at vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com.